0: Let's get started. If you all want to move up, feel free to grab a book uh, if you'd like to uh, browse, and also feel free to take photos. This is a conversation on social media. Uh, We do (laughs) encourage the use of social media to share this conversation and event uh, with your social networks. so good evening, everyone. My name is Erica Palasigue. I'm with Eastwind Books of Berkeley, and I'd like you welcome all. To, I'd like to welcome you all to the Oakland Asian Cultural Center. Uh, they have been very gracious uh, in allowing us the use of uh, the space. Just a little background information: Eastwind Books. Uh, <clears throat> we've had some issues recently with trying to keep our doors open. And uh, we weren't sure if this event would have uh, was possible because we weren't sure if we were going to be around. And we did a call out uh, for help. And fortunately, the OACC uh, stepped up. And if it weren't for our connections with them over the years, if it weren't, for our connections with all these people in this room, uh, meeting Paloma, uh, who reached out to us to do this event, and connecting us with Ravi, who then connected us to Najee, like that's, it's, it's really amazing to see what social media has been able to offer us in terms of sharing these really important events and conversations. Um, <clears throat> so uh, please uh, look us up on social media. Because we all we need we need more folks to come out to these events. We need uh, more support for community events like this one and centers like the Oakland Asian Cultural Center. So uh, I I had read about Face Buddha um, when it was released in the fall of 2017, and I actually had a postcard. There was an ad for your book. I had it sitting on my desk for a couple of months because I thought, okay, this is going to be a really cool event. Uh, I I'd love to have Ravi in the bookstore sometime, and. <clears throat> I googled you. I googled you. I did, uh, and your Google imaged and your face popped up because I was like, okay, this guy's local, so it's, it'd be really easy for him to come over. And when Google image showed up, I was like, I know this guy. Like, I have seen this guy. I don't. He looks so familiar. Uh, and then I realized that I'd seen you at various community events, whether it's Camp Fest or Kearney Street Workshop, um, which for me, I, I think, hi. Come on in, yeah. So <clears throat> after reading Face Buddha and reading your words, um, I realized like, you, you really do live by your words. You show up, you connect with people in the community, uh, in, in real life, and that's, that's big for, for somebody who uh, has all this information really good resources to share with us and I I commend you and it is an honor to have you here and uh, Without further ado. I'd like to welcome dr. Ravi Chandra
1: Thank you so much Erica and uh, uh, Welcome to all of you. Thank you for coming out on a Golden State Warriors night and I look forward to uh, having the conversation with Najee as well and uh, uh, thanks to Paloma uh, Concordia of Papalo down to uh, to help who also helped set up uh, the event with Erica and East Wind. Um, I just wanted to start a little bit now, just maybe to get a little background of why my book's called Face Buddha. Um, and first of all, I actually went to a uh, play today in Berkeley um, called What the Constitution Means to Me. And uh, so this is this is an important thing. And the first a clause of the first amendment says congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof so i think that's significant uh, for all of us uh, in this day when uh, when you know there're a lot of questions about religion and spirituality and uh, influencing our politics and so forth and so i think that's kind of one of the maybe problems with my book's title is that a lot of people are like turned off from religion they're they they do not want to deal with it particularly in the bay area we tend to you know maybe say we're spiritual but not religious and um uh and and there's a lot of negativity around religion and this country is seventy percent christian so, um, so I think a, a Buddhist book, particularly coming from someone who's not an established Buddhist teacher or author, is kind of a hard sell. So I appreciate the PR help with this. But, um, but you know, I think our our in terms of where this book, uh, the book's title came from, obviously it's a play on Facebook, Face Buddha. Um, but uh, I think our sense of spirituality comes from so many imprints. Um, and I'll just tell my own story a little bit as an immigrant. Uh, coming to the United States when I was 15 months old. Uh, my family is Hindu for many generations. Uh, and uh, uh, my mom uh, uh, you know, had an altar in the house with uh, pictures of, of the Hindu deities and so forth. But my first experience when I was four years old, we lived in a, a small apartment in Tuskegee, Alabama. And Tuskegee, Alabama, I so- associate mostly with uh, uh, the uh, corner shack where college students would sell footlong hot dogs. And, uh, and, uh, and also uh, uh, my kindergarten school, where I had my first encounter of racism there at kindergarten, uh, uh, a white child uh, told me, oh, your skin's dirty. And so uh, I went home and I rubbed my skin, I tried to wash off the brown with Ajax. So those are some of the early experiences. And my mom said, oh, that's just your skin, that won't go. But I didn't have any conscious understanding of what racism was at the time. But uh, we had this altar, and uh, every time I would go out to take the trash out um, in this apartment complex, it was like a really, you know, it was a, real, it was a space about this size of this room, and uh, lots of heaped up trash cans, and uh, rats running around in, in the between the trash cans. So I was so afraid that one of the rats would get me, so I would take a medallion, a Krishna medallion, from the altar and hold it with me as I went and dropped off the trash. So that was my first experience of religion, It's kind of to protect me in a, in a superstitious way, um, and then you know I, I think you know we kind of uh, imbibe a, a lot of things. We went to Hindu temples when I was growing up uh, in um, in uh, Detroit. Uh, every few months, we would go to a Hindu temple, uh, and so that was. But I think you know mostly growing up in. in you know, uh, uh, public schools and then in a private school later on. I think the real kind of message was it's about kind of academics and science and that became my religion and certainly biology became my, my kind of religion I would say in college even though I read Siddhartha when I was in high school by Hermann Hesse and that really inspired me so that was like an imprint like oh that idea of going beyond suffering uh, kind of planted uh, uh, its roots on um, you know this, this German writer from writing on Indian themes, you know, so so coming to America, so all these interconnections. Uh, but biology was my religion that took me to medical school. Medicine was my religion, um, and then after medical school, uh, I started to explore. Now all all the, I, I sang in a gospel choir when I was in at Brown, um, and so that was uh, another imprint, uh, you know, and music. Uh, uh, and uh, but after medical school, I think I really was looking for. Um, uh, a, a greater sense of meaning and purpose in the world. And so actually, you know, uh, having been inspired by Christianity, I joined a, a Methodist church and got baptized when I was 30 years old. And uh, so that was kind of the social justice mission of Christianity. And the community offered by the church was really important to me. But then I moved away, so I, I left the area. And, um, and then I really didn't connect with the church in my new city, I was in Minneapolis, but I did see a poster for Buddhism, uh, for a Shambhala Buddhist center, and that intrigued me. Learned meditation, said okay this could this could be interesting, this could be helpful, and I've thought about this since I was young, so I went and um, uh, really got into it, and it kind of clicked with me, and, and I uh, uh, became more interested in Buddhism, and that's really since 98 or so, um, that's really been my practice, uh, mindfulness and, and meditation and compassion. So, um, so I think when I you know, had all of my experiences on Facebook, which we can talk about, um, you know, uh, getting on Facebook in 2007, uh, I was already practicing Buddhism a lot, so trying to cultivate loving kindness, mindfulness, compassion uh, as a daily spiritual practice. Um, And then I noticed all these strange things happening to me. I enjoyed a lot of Facebook, but also had all these strange experiences. Like, what is happening to my mind here, you know, in this domain? Um, And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, and I just needed to explore that. You know, what's what's happening? What's this sense of connection? you know, uh, what's the good and the bad and the ugly of what's happening on social media? Because uh, I was definitely noticing a lot. Um, And so that's where the original uh, uh, idea for the book came from. Uh, So it was through my Buddhist practice, but also trying to see what was happening to my mind and the heart and my heart as I tried to engage online. Um, And uh, uh, also uh, uh, just a a sense of, uh, and just being a, a, a psychiatrist, I also started to read the psychological literature. Uh, about uh, social media, uh, and so you know, so uh, you know, a lot of that, most of that, is fairly negative. Um, uh, uh, but obviously, there's some good there too. So, you know, we can talk about um, where I got to with all of that, um, and you could hopefully read the book, um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, we can have questions because I think it's an open question. I think we're all, you know, ideally looking for uh, belonging, self-expression. Uh, in the world and as human beings and a sense of meaning. And so I think the deeper question uh, that I talk about by the end of the book is uh, I think we, we're going through a stage of adaptation. We've, you know, Facebook is um, uh, uh, two billion people. It's the largest country on earth if, you, if it were all gathered in one spot. It's larger than the Catholic Church. It approaches the number of Christians worldwide. And I, you know, I jokingly say social media is a new religion. Um, and you know, I think that you know, uh, uh, social media is not media. is not just a medium. It is a new religion. The tweet is our call to prayers. We thumb our phones like rosaries. Food porn is our our communion. It's also the way we say grace. We take a picture with our our phones and our offering to the cloud. The status update is our sermon on the mount. The selfie is our be- uh, personal anointment and beatification. Facebook. Messenger is our messiah. The Apple Store is our modern cathedral, our silicon sanctuary. And new emoji are released to the fanfare of a new pope. I mean, that's somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But it's like this idea of we're, we're just creating a new way of being all of a sudden. In the last 11 years, you know, out of nowhere, we have this new way of connecting to some bigger purpose or big, bigger picture. And I think it pays off. If we uh, make this adaptation consciously and really know uh, all the, the, the pitfalls that are happening, so I say, you know, we're kind of undergoing a, um, an identity crisis when we enter on when we go online. It's like I think the questions that stirs when you post something: Well, who's going to look at it? What are they going to think about it? Did my humor go off the right way? Uh, do we agree with each other? I mean, all these questions. So it ultimately becomes kind of an identity crisis. Like, who am I? And who am I in relation to others? Um, And uh, also, uh, I think that's happening in a broader way in in American society. We're all wondering about our connection to each other. And uh, I think that's what we have this national identity crisis going on as well. So so that's kind of the framework uh, of the book. It's bookended by uh, and has a big middle section of memoir as well, uh, travel memoir so um so that's that and and with that i think we can just go to the conversation and um yeah all right thank you very much thank
0: you thank you and we have with us tonight naji amaranth uh, artist and innovator he got his start in 2009 performing for colleges in 2012 he started the group the oakland mind one of the leaders in the bay area music scene through this group and his personal music, he was able to bring he was able to bring light to real life issues such as human trafficking, the lack of resources in underprivileged communities, and mental health. Now, uh, speaking with Naji earlier, uh, can you talk a little bit about your upcoming projects, your uh, eight yes. eight upcoming projects, software, and what uh, you, your thoughts and uh, your thoughts and ideas on what how social media can uh, influence our activism our community work and an art scene and
2: so on most definitely most definitely so you know as, as I say I'm you know an artist but I'm also a software engineer okay. and in my software engineering efforts I am working with the county of Alameda right now in a program called the Alameda County Innovations program and through the innovation program we're building out eight apps that are specifically geared towards different areas of mental health within Alameda County. You know, and as an engineer I've been really vying for them to make sure that the apps are what's called open source Mm -hmm. so that any other engineer anywhere in the world could take the code and use it to build a similar program for their community. You know, and that's gonna be coming out of Alameda County, everyone's being paid well enough to do Mm -hmm. the work that they're doing and we're gonna build some really, really powerful apps. So that that's what I do in the daytime, you know, but then when I put on my cape at nighttime (laughs) I I put on my, my artist cape, you know, and I use my music and I use my personality and my presence to help to enlighten people on issues that are actually important. Because in a certain place in my heart, I feel that music really has been able to connect us through any barrier that's ever been created, you know. And even if music doesn't have words, what you feel, you know, is what moves you, is what moves you and what drives you to act. And if you look at our history, you look at what people do now, we come together around music we come together around things that bring us joy you know there's there's a saying that when two or more are in the room god is present you know mm. and it's like at the end of the day just that by itself is powerful you know and when you really think about it and when you really sit and you feel what's going on in the room with more than yourself then you know that god is present you know that any time that you get together with other people of like minds your energy doubles, your energy triples, your energy quadruples. New ideas are formed. Ideas that you would never come to yourself. And at the end of the day, that is what's really most important. And we're we're using these tools. And like like Ravi said, we're changing. We have to adapt. You know, we could not send a message to somebody a hundred years ago within 10 seconds. It wouldn't happen. If I was here and you were like, You know, in San Francisco, that's gonna take a long time 100 years ago. That's gonna take a long time 60 years ago. That's gonna take a long time 30 years ago, you know? But now, you can actually say the message and it'll get there in seconds. That changes the way that we interact with each other as a community. That changes the way that we interact with each other as a world, as a people, as a unit. And so I'm I'm here to discuss that and just to discuss solutions, you know. At this point, I'm all about solutions. What can we do today so that tomorrow can be better? Mm. Wonderful, yeah. Um, yeah,
1: I, I, I agree with you 100% about uh, presence and uh, shared presence really is magical, uh, heavenly, godly maybe. I mean, there's all these uh, ways. I mean, it's, it's beyond getting out of our self-centered perspective, which is, I mean, part of what Buddhism is about is about uh, eradicating uh, or really curtailing the self-centered perspective, and I think that's true in every religion. has some way of uh, uh, talking about self-centeredness to uh, to guide people beyond themselves, because uh, that's that's what the human picture is about. Um, And uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, uh, so that's that's the question: How do we Get beyond our self-centeredness, and you know, the it's an open question, and answers may vary for different people. Is communicating with people on social media does that you know is that uh, 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 is that self-centered or is it not self-centered? And I, I think that's that's something I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, you know, or is that what does it enhance within us? Um, uh, but I think I think I, I totally am on the same page with you about shared presence. Uh, for sure
0: yeah and uh ravi earlier we had this conversation about conversations and face-to-face uh real time in real life and how our online presence and our in real life selves can be can be different the same and how social media is a a double-edged sword Uh, so how for a question for the both of you in your activism uh, how do you think social media has has either uh helped us to be more active and communicate with our communities directly. Like, we can send out a text and rally folks to, to uh, protest or meet at a certain location. And I know uh, in, in conversations with uh, older generations and their activism, they had to, you know, call, pick up a phone, uh, they'd have to send notes. And it was really, for them, they, it took extra work to rally the community. And now it's instantaneous, just like that. But how do you how do you see that affecting how we interact or with each other within our communities? How has that affected activism and wokeness?
2: Well, I you know, I, I think that our society has drastically changed from what it once was. And, you know, it is a double edged sword. And on one end you can get information a lot faster mm-hmm. than you used to, but there also is the the fact that we're becoming more distracted mm. you know it's like we have more time but the question that we have to ask our individual selves is what are we doing with that time mm. you know and it's like it's so easy to just kind of slip into distraction you're like chilling somewhere you're like you know i'm just checking my facebook and then it's like two hours later and you're just like you looked at all these memes you looked at all these <laughs> videos <laughs> you know? some of it you're like that was cool and some of you're like i kind of wasted my time but i'm like a lot but you know, at the, you know, my thing is we have to think about purpose and we, we have to continually think about purpose, you know, as individuals, but also as a collective, you know, as like small units, big units and super huge units all the way down to like a world unit. But it, it starts with the individual, you know, and you have to be able to balance between the different parts and aspects of yourself. So we have to think about our own purposes, you know, like what are we here to do today? Why do we come here? Why are we looking at Facebook right now? Why are we looking at Instagram? Why do we even have an Instagram? Why do we even have a Facebook? You know, who do we wanna connect with? We say to ourselves, it's because I wanna connect with family, okay? When is the last time you re- reached out to someone in your family? Are you tagging them in the stuff that you're doing? Are you calling them? Are you making connections? You know, one thing that my cousin told me, she, she and her brother, they, they moved apart from each other, so they haven't really been talking and then they started hitting each other up on Facebook Messenger, you know. And she told me that that made the biggest difference, you know, because before it felt like they were living two separate lives. Mm-hmm. But now, even when they come back together, it feels like they never stopped talking. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like they were always together. It felt like, you know, even though they're distantly apart, they can get that piece of each other's lives because they put in the work to actually reach out to each other and to actually connect with each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the, what it boils down to is purpose. Like, if you're going to be using these tools, what are you going to use the tools for? Mm-hmm. When you pick up a hammer, you don't just flail it around. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm going to take this hammer. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build a door. I'm going to build a table. You know? So when you're picking up your phone, what am I going to use this tool for? Yeah. Um, wow,
1: that's uh, that's <laughs> brilliant. That's, uh, that's like, you know, that's, uh, uh, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, to, to just go off that image of the hammer, um, I do uh, use in the book, um, uh, uh, you know, some people said to me, social media is a tool. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you wouldn't use a screwdriver to change a light bulb. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what are you using it for? That's the question. And, you know, I think for me, it comes down to, like you said, reaching out, making relationship, mm-hmm. forming the connection. And um, it's an open question, I think, whether People use it to broadcast themselves and get some kind of superficial connection, and that can be good for certain things, uh, for spreading an idea or an issue. Mm. Um, but you know, anger spreads most virally on social media, and uh, then it's hard for like a uh, the voice of uh, compassion or kindness or whatever to get a word in edgewise. Sometimes uh, it's like because everybody can get kind of escalated to a point of arguing about something. Uh, uh and that can be that can be dis- that was disconnecting for me and very polarizing um, uh, uh, you know and so um, so that idea it's a tool but how do you use it okay um and if you're and for me I think I came back to um, uh, my uh, you know you know the 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 light bulb that I'm trying to fix in myself and uh, the problem that I see in the world is disconnection mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, all suffering springs from disconnection of some sort, uh, person to person, within the families, you know, spreading outwards to global disconnection. And and uh, suffering is a crisis in connection. And, um, you know, what one Buddhist teacher says is belonging is the opposite of suffering. So how do we get to belonging? Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's a very difficult uh, task. I mean, the beloved community uh, is not uh, present yet uh, uh, in America. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, uh, sometimes Facebook has been a community, uh, 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 but around these really hard issues I found it uh, to be hard to create a sense of uh, a circle of holding different perspectives or even the same person holding different perspectives. Uh, because it's you, you can tend to get uh, uh, filtered into uh, kind of what opinion do you hold as opposed to who are you as a person or mm-hmm. how do you relate to a broad range of issues mm-hmm. so yeah.
0: because there's the whole, there's the online presence mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right we say we use that we, we say oh I am I present online am I offline and then you have different ways of of showing your status your feelings where where you're at checking into this rally I'm mm-hmm. gonna show up here I have a hashtag you know for for anything and everything now to categorize different topics moments it's it's uh, it could be overwhelming and so for Ravi uh, I know you uh, your Facebook it it goes into length about how Buddhism can help us uh, get more grounded and disconnect and also get a more sense of, a real sense of belonging and uh, really, truly connect with, with people, with our social networks uh, from a very real place, an intentional, purposeful place. Uh, what, what do you recommend for someone who's just maybe starting out, like doing a detox or there's your also three week challenge, what do you recommend for someone who is constantly uh, plugged in? Where do we, where do we start?
1: Well, beyond even Buddhism, I think what mm-hmm. Naji said earlier about connecting to your intention and mm-hmm. purpose, and really knowing yourself, sure. and uh, uh, understanding your mind, uh, and uh, you know, trying to purify, in a sense, who you are, mm-hmm. uh, knowing your narrative and where where you live and exist in the world and in the community, and and uh, and just keep cultivating your intention. So I think that's the human part of it. Um, the way Buddhism has helped me with that is. Uh, boils down to basically three main areas Uh, one is mindfulness uh, the practice of mindfulness uh, not getting entangled with the stories and the judgments and the criticisms of of the world or yourself but just being able to observe things as they're going on in your mind and in the world so a little bit of observer awareness with mindfulness and then cultivating a compassion for yourself and others Um, and uh, uh, really breaking out of uh, the cycle, you know, the the self-centeredness that we have where we can find ourselves affiliated with this idea or this group or uh, ourselves or our needs and and get really, I think, uh, kind of messed up in that way. You know, almost casual way, how we become isolated from others. Hmm. Um, And so breaking that down All those ways we do it in our own minds and the way society does it as well, with compassion uh, and cultivating. It's a constant process. Um, And and then relationship. uh, Really uh, uh, trying to build connections and communication with people. Because we're we're social beings, uh, you know, for uh, all of mammalian history, uh, depends on nurturing uh, and I think human beings, Hundred fifty thousand years of human history has really depended on nurturing each other, and so in relationship, we ha- and and I think you know since the agrarian revolution, we've lived you know we identify with our houses, you know not with our community mm. as much. Um, so that's a big problem, I think, uh, and so um, so I think you know trying to shift that um, and uh, uh, try to connect more with that human picture. Uh, your 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 community in a bigger sense. That's a transcendent piece. Transcending my book is called Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks. So, transcending our self-centeredness to a deeper sense of uh, uh, of uh, uh, our human story. Uh, yeah. So. Sure. sure. um You know, I think social media is really phenomenal. I mean,
3: I, I that is twofold. Hers. it's a blessing because I have witnessed and I have sort of minimized the destructive through social media. In fact, you know, there's been the a push for legislation to actually begin um, to file lawsuits because there's been of damage to people's lives. And also, and I guess I'm just also wondering, uh, I wanted to respond to that too, and also about the expansion of cultural paranoia. I mean, statistically, about eighty-five percent of people in the United States right now have, have some form of illness, I and mean, many the thing that I'm concerned about is the escalation of cultural paranoia um, in society and also the issue of preserving privacy. And right. just recently, as you know, that, that there was an announcement on media that we had being told our, our systems because there was infiltration and acting by, right. by international you know, um, channels, whatever. So um, I guess I'm just really concerned that area um, because it does have the power to destroy people's, it has destroyed people's lives. Capacity. And if we're talking about trying to do a revolution of one's effect, it's like, you know, like like everything says, right? Depressed with business mistrust, right? That reality is a bit of food in your stomach. Trust versus mistrust? Is that what you say? Yes. If you have adequate income Mm -hmm. in your stomach, it's going to make everybody depressed because it doesn't affect you psychically or psychologically, physically, but it's how you're incorporating the world, especially Baldwin talks about the stigma. Um, Baldwin talks about the theory of stigma. Really being stigmatized, so the ability to excel is, is becomes less and less, especially with the social media, because once it's on, it's on
1: permanently. So just to repeat for my microphone, because I don't know if it picked you up, the question was about the destructiveness of social media, and also the, our cultural paranoia, uh, and uh, our, 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 our kind of mistrust of each other, uh, and the potential for social media to cause abuse, basically. is that is that. Basically, you? that's what I heard. Is that? Uh, yeah,
3: yeah, I, you okay. know, I mean, I was saying it's a yeah. curse. It's a blessing and a yeah, curse. And right. I'm just sort of taking the devil's right. right, Because you talked about the connectedness.
1: You talked about the oh, oh, that connection. was talking about real life, not necessarily yeah. social media. But um, okay. yeah, okay. yeah. But, but I think we had, there are different perspectives on whether social media creates connection or not. And I think that's, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I kind of walk that ambivalence the whole way uh, in my book. So, yeah, and I, I end up deactivating my social media. So, I mean, to give you my punchline. But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, but it, it may different, be different for different generations. And there may be new cultural norms being created amongst younger people that I'm not privy to as an older person. So, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, that's why I say everybody has to decide for themselves. But taking all the information
2: yeah I I agree and you know for me it just comes back to purpose Mm -hmm. you we just have to be more purposeful with our actions and when we're uploading things to Facebook we have to like think about the repercussions of these actions you know I have a son and I always tell my son whenever he does does something new I'm like you gained a new ability but you also gain a new responsibility and the most important ability that you'll ever have is responsibility Mm -hmm. you know being responsible for what happens after you act you know thinking about you know having foresight like if i do this this and this can happen if i do this this and this can happen what do i really mean what do i really want to do and i think that you know like ravi says one of the most important connections that we can have is an actual in-person connection you know i think when you can't okay it's good to have these kind of digital means when you can't but they're not to be a replacement for when you can. You know, like when you have the opportunity to actually be together, we need to come together. We need to be able to speak. We need to be able to have like an actual dialogue more than just like typing. Because when you hear somebody and you look at somebody speaking, it's different than if you saw something that they wrote. You know, because when you see somebody speaking, you can actually have a dialogue. You can actually have a a back and forth. You can unpack what they're saying. You know, you can't like unpack what they wrote down. You, you can't unpack what they said in a video. You can't unpack their picture, you know? You can enjoy it, which is good. But when you really want to get deeper and you really want to build these connections on things that are actually important, then you have to be able to have these conversations. You have to be able to interact with people. You have to be able to be with people. You know, and I think that while we're building this kind of relationship, the most important thing is honesty. Mm-hmm. And I always start with the self, you know, because that's the thing that we're most connected with, right? but you have to like transcend and be able to go out to all other levels. And so first off, you have to be honest with yourself and honest with your own intentions, like I did this because of this, I did this because of this, and be able to come to terms with those things. And then you also have to be able to be honest with other people about your intentions. You know, Sometimes it's gonna be hard. Sometimes people are not gonna accept you. Some people might downright hate you, okay, just for being honest. But the more that we as individuals become honest the more other people around us will begin to want to be honest because it'll become the norm, it'll become the thing to be. You know, and once we're all able to be honest with our own intentions and our own motivations, then we can have a more honest and open dialogue and we can actually, you know, begin to heal from some of the traumas that we've been through and some of the things that we go through every day.
0: You deactivated your Facebook? (laughs) Can
1: we talk I, about that? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I've gone through stages Thank with it. Uh, but uh, 2015, I had, you know, I'd done the psychological uh, literature search. Okay. i logged out for brief periods okay. of time, um, and then finally, it was actually on um, the uh, what's it called, the uh, uh, Charlie Hebdo massacre in France, okay. uh, happened in January of 2015, and um, you know. As many people were, uh, I I was shocked by the massacre, but um, you know, unfortunately, the way that uh, that um, many of my activist community felt about it, um, uh, and I, you know, I agree with them. I mean, there's kind of this uh, really, there's a lot of hurt. There's a big wound of racism uh, in, in in many of our communities, uh, and uh, uh, it can become a one-size-fits-all narrative, um, and it can uh, uh kind of take take center stage above other considerations and um, it has been that way for me sometimes as well um and, and it's it's like it's still at the core of of who I am as a person is is trying to deal with and understand and unpack racism uh, uh, is, is there but um, but it you know the conversation shifted from very quickly uh, uh, to from about the massacre and about, you know, the loss of life to Charlie Hebdo is a racist, anti-immigrant, far-right magazine, which were all actually lies. I mean, but this was perpetuated mm. by a lot of blog posts that were spread virally in my Asian American community. Unfortunately, I mean, there were popular blog posts that that misquoted and misrepresented Charlie Hebdo, uh, which is actually a socialist. I mean, you know, uh, they're they're white men mostly, so you know, there, there's there's you know, that, that, that comes with all of its baggage, I suppose, but, but they, are, they were a pro-immigrant magazine. They, um, they you know, they, so, so the, kind of the narrative that was being spun on Facebook was just so abhorrent to me. I mean, I just thought, you know, this is like a big gaslighting, you know, that's happening because it's coming from the wound. So it's not, you know, I understand where it's coming from, but it's not uh, the 360 on this issue. So I deactivated, because it was so polarizing to me. Um, and then I reactivated to promote my book, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so but uh, that's how that goes, so. Uh,
0: right, because uh, I was yeah. like, we tagged you, wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's,
1: yeah, but I'm hardly on there now, right. you know, so, um, but yeah.
0: Okay, let's, let's let's be honest, how often do we use social media for personal use, for, for work? Uh, no, or
2: you. I mean, you know, at at this point, I, I use it, I think, mm. every day. You know, I try to limit the amount of time that I spend mm. just scrolling. Sometimes mm. I see things that are actually worthwhile, but I try to follow people. You know, I used to just follow everybody. Like, oh, you follow me? Let me follow you back. But now I follow things that I actually want to follow, like mm. people whose stuff, like, inspires me to actually, like, go above and beyond, or, like, people who I want to work with, you know? And when I'm posting, I'm just posting about, like, stuff that I think can enhance the community, can help create more beauty, can help create more knowledge. You know, things sometimes that are, that are funny. Cause I think that sometimes we need to like relax and chill, you know? And, but beyond being on social media, I like to spend as much of my time in the real world as possible. Like before I came here, I, I didn't really, I wasn't on social media today, I was like, oh look, look at what's going on? <laughs> like I knew what was going on, I went to Karajama, which is like Oakland's carnival. And they just got it back in Marceau Park, it's been five years. You know, Lyn- Lynette McElhaney, she's over District 3, which is right over here, which is where Mosswood Park is. And it used to be going for a long time in Mossville Park, but because of legal things, it had to move, right? But, you know, I spent most of my time there, enjoying time with people in the community, people doing business, you know, like trading, finances and income and resources so that we can all continue to build. You know, one thing that I say, is that man cannot live on bread alone, and I do include woman and man in the same thing, but like people can't live on bread alone, but without bread, people will die, you know? And bread is just the thing that we need to live, you know? What I like to think about is just ways that I myself can help right now, the people who are around me right now, you know? And I've been around a good amount of people and I've seen a lot of suffering, and I've seen a lot of like wealth, a lot of affluence, and, we have to be able to take the wealth that we have and spread it more evenly, you know? And once we have like a base level of living, then it will be easier to talk about other kinds of issues that we might go through, other kinds of things that we might need to improve our community. But it's very difficult to talk about those things when people don't even have bread to eat, you know? I, I heard a story on Facebook, actually, mm-hmm. from a friend of mine, his name is, his name is Nick Houston. And I have a lot of respect for him because he works with um, the East Bay, East Bay Collective. No, the East Oakland Collective. And what they do is they do these events called Feed the Hood. And like, they're, they're going to do Feed the Hood 6, I think, in September. And what they do is they gather community resources together to get like, care packages for people who don't have homes. And I don't know if you know, but the, people, the amount of people who don't have homes in this city and in San Francisco has increased you know, by over 100% in a very short period of time, even within just the last year, okay? The amount of people who've become homeless has skyrocketed. It's it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, I, I don't even wanna say numbers, okay? Because it's just that kind of surprising. But it's an actuality, it's a real thing that people have to deal with every single day. So, you know, Nick Houston, that's what he does. He, he works in the daytime, but when he puts on his cape, okay, he goes to help feed the homeless, you know? And I, I personally support I support that and I support him in doing that. But he, he was talking about a story that he heard from from some people who are homeless right now. They have a full-time job and they go to work five days a week Okay, and they, they shower at a local gym, but they're still homeless. It's not that this person's on drugs, this person doesn't have mental challenges, they're actually a normal person and they have a normal job here in Oakland that cannot afford rent. You know, and I heard about that on Facebook. Like, I don't talk to Nick Houston every single day face to face, but I keep up with the things that he does and I I interact with him where and when I can. You know, like if you need some music or something like that, if you need some speakers, if you need some more promotion about these events, then I got you, I do that all day. You don't even have to ask me to do it, you know, because I support you and because I want to spend my time doing that. So I put time aside to support things like that. You know, and that's the way that I use my social media. And in those efforts, you know, I'm on it like, I would say, daily. I'm not just searching or scrolling, I'm like looking for information or I'm passing on information or I'm like looking at like what's going on, you know, what's going on around me, like what's coming up, what's going down, because we've been able to see things in real time, things that are actually happening right now using social media. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. You know? And even in the past, when we think about the Civil Rights Movement, one thing that made the Civil Rights Movement as powerful as it was, was the use of the media. Mm. You know, one story that people don't know is that when Bull Connor was gonna sick the fire hoses and the dogs on, on all these protesters, they, they were teenage protesters. They were in high school, you know? And it's one thing, right? To sick dogs and water hoses on adults. But when you're sicking dogs and water hoses on kids, right that shows a different side of who you are. Mm-hmm. That shows a, a side of who you are that we that we need to deal with, you know? And without the media being able to capture that moment, people wouldn't have known. But because they did, because they could see with their own eyes, kids, people's kids, it could be your kids getting dogs and water hoses sicked on them for protesting injustice, you know? That drove them to act. You know, And that's the kind of thinking that we need today. But if we go back, the distraction, that's like the the side of it, Mm -hmm. I think, that can sometimes overshadow with the good stuff that's happening. And it's easy, it's easy, I would say easier than ever to get distracted, but we have to make it an individual day-by-day, moment-by-moment journey. All you really gotta do is ask yourself, why am I doing this? And if you don't come up with a good answer, Mm in like Mm -hmm. three seconds, okay, (laughs) maybe like five to (laughs) ten seconds, it depends, then you might need to do something else. So I'd I'd use mine for those purposes to really help people who actually need it so that I can coordinate and do what I need to do in the physical to help people do the things that they need to do, to live the life that they want to live, because there's no reason that somebody should be working five days a week Mm -hmm. and still live in a tent.
3: So For example, I went to training on, on the stock market, the inputs and outputs. Nobody really wanted to take the time to really help me understand that process. Mm-hmm. And these are the things I'm talking about how to generate income on. You can have, you know, you can actually, you know how to play, and you're pretty keen, you can make quite a bit of money within one week. Mm-hmm. You know, just on the stock, mm-hmm. input and output. We don't lose it. I mean, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm we don't really wanna, we want to share their true skills. Mm-hmm. That is really the key, issue, I believe. Um, which is why, you know, I mean of course people can't sustain on McDonald's income, I mean and that's important. But I think people don't people oh, i am gonna say, they ice the cake, they put the ice in, but they don't really deal with the real issue and how to help the people sustain to make it to survive because we live in a society that's capitalist is based on competition. Mm-hmm. I mean in that
1: I agree. I think it'd be more valuable to teach somebody how to use a
3: specific software versus giving them food. I mean, that's just me because food is short term. Having a skill and implementing it is long term.
2: No, that's true. That is absolutely, absolutely correct. And you know, that's one of the things that I've personally been working on. Mm -hmm. Programs. We need programs to teach people these skills you know if the schools or the colleges or whatever other programs people can go through are not teaching them we need to create the programs ourselves
3: or as
2: individuals or as individuals, or as
3: individuals.
2: and we need to be able to pass back our skills that is really the most important part you know I, I have a son and I teach him everything under the sun even stuff I think that he'll never ever use okay I'm like you you should know it just in case hmm. you never know and I make special emphasis on the stuff that he's going to use all the time I'm like, you need to know how to survive. You need to know how to like do your taxes. You need to know how to be able to, to like look at stocks and see what the system is. Because a lot of people, even from my community, and especially from my community sometimes, they, they look at the, the stocks and they're like, that's the devil. Like, I never understand, understand that stuff. I'm like, but you could use it you know, to help yourself out. And that's what's most important because when you really think about it, a lot of people are using these things to their advantages and it's helping them (sighs) to survive. And they'll never tell you about it. You're like, man, how you got this $4,000 like apartment over here? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, because I did this, because I invested in this, because I did this and this and this and this. And we have to start teaching our communities about those kind of investments that plan out and pan out in the long term. And we also have to start having just more togetherness. You know, there's a a community of Islamic people, and there's like about 80 families in this community, and what they do, they'll all pull their money together so that they can buy one house for one family, and then that family moves in, and then they, they pay back the collective, and then they do the same thing again, and they buy another house for another family, and eventually you get 80 houses for 80 families, and even when you know, this, this family moves on or passes away, the house is still within the community, okay. and now another family can get the house. You know, and in this kind of system, like the sister is saying, that is how you have like economic leverage, mm. being able to build in that way. And you know, it's it starts on the individual level. Like you can create a program, but we could literally get here together and create a system amongst ourselves where we could all get houses by you know by X amount of time. And it, for us to be able to build and continue to build and continue to survive and to thrive we have to start thinking on that level. And that, you know, that goes back to purpose. Like why, what is your purpose? And I think the question of purpose can be like a very big question, but we can also think about what we ourselves would like to see, you know? Myself, I'm like, I wanna see like this stuff happen. I wanna see people happy. I wanna see us thriving. I wanna see us doing well. I don't wanna see us sad. I wanna see us crying over things that we don't have to, you know? I wanna see us like happy. I wanna see us lively, alive, vibrant. And so like in, in that, right, I just make steps. I'm like, okay, what do I see that I can do today? What do I see I can do tomorrow? What do I see that I can do like from now that I can help 10 years down the line? You know, what, it, what do I need to do to help my family? Like what's gonna happen if I, if something happens to me, what's gonna happen to my family at that point? What kind of contingency plans can I create? And how can I pass these on to other people in the community so that they can do the same thing? So that when, when I'm gone, Everything that I've learned that has helped the world can survive, can live on and can be passed down generation after generation after generation after generation you know and we I think it starts with a mindset you have to like be able to see the world in that way. you have to be able to think in that way and a lot of our ancestors did think in that way you know and a lot of people still think in that way, but us as individuals, you and I in this room mm-hmm. have to start thinking and acting in that way. And we have to start building relationships in that way. And we have to be honest with ourselves and with other people to let them know that this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. You know, and in that way, we'll be able to continue it. You know, if I know, my son knows, his son, his daughter, and so forth and so on, and they know generation after generation after generation why we're doing this, why these things are a part of our culture, of our lives, and we still allow those things to grow because sometimes things change and certain things have to evolve. But when we have that baseline of why we're doing it, you know, we want to create more happiness. We don't want to see suffering. We don't want to see people hurt, you know. Then we'll be in a good position. Well, I think that's,
1: that's something we all have to just absorb and, and bring to our hearts, side. Uh, you know, what you're talking about is, is uh, really uh, revolutionizing the way we, uh, we uh, live with each other and, and how we uh, cultivate a sense of shared purpose and bring our purpose to the world. Um, uh, there are two things um, that you uh, mentioned, uh, which I'll uh, uh, also expand about, um, uh, in terms of activism and civil rights. You're absolutely right. Um, uh, those media images back in the 60s made a huge impact and brought uh... people from the north uh... to uh... to go to mississippi etc. uh... uh, and and that was very important and now we have the capacity of a smartphone Mm -hmm. from uh... you know uh... uh, the girlfriend of philando castile Mm -hmm. to be broadcast around the world and it, it just you know i think if you're a caring person that that just punctures your heart And things like that just uh... you cannot ignore that and you have to make a relationship to it whereas maybe before you could kind of uh, live in your own world. Yeah. So in that sense, the boundaries have collapsed. And we are sharing an experience in some way. And then I think, though, it does come to how do you want to relate to that experience? Um, once you know that all of this is happening, um, where do you go with it? I mean, I think you know uh, uh, the media images can be a, uh, what I call a cataclysmic barrage of trauma. you just, every day, it's another thing. And um, I think you know, that can be too much, and, and I, I need to, I, for personally, I need some space from that, uh, the, the barrage to collect myself and to cultivate compassion and, and to feel a sense of wholeness, because trauma shatters the self. Uh, we can feel so uh, disconnected uh, when we feel so traumatized. Um, and at least uh, that's true for me, and and and, uh, and, and so uh, so I need to find a way to uh, come to a deeper sense of uh, uh, relationship to those kinds of things, um, and so uh, but you know so, so I think you know it, it's it's certainly playing its role, um, and the question is then how do you build that into relationships, and, and I think you know uh, uh, you know uh, I I try to do it uh By supporting organizations uh, and so forth, I think there's this idea that uh, that the broad social network will become this voice. It's like whatever's trending on Twitter mm. will change things and sometimes that's true sometimes it makes a difference but I think about these deep structural problems uh, which are just so evolved and there's a hierarchy there. I mean there is like a structure there which uh, uh, is uh, I don't I don't I don't see that uh, these kind of uh, you know I could be wrong about this I, I could be wrong about all of this but my perspective is that the network uh, when it faces a hierarchy like that is not going to be uh, uh, is not it's not going to be easy to change things unless it's a long-term generational thing and yeah. and people just turn over uh, over time I mean I think the uh, uh, the younger generation is much more Inclusive and idealistic, uh, on average, than the older generation. So, you know, maybe just turn it over to the younger folks, and things will be fine. But um, and, and maybe that's the network or the new system that'll be in place. But but I think there are hierarchical problems in the younger generation too. And there, there's sexism and racism and homophobia and all the rest. It, it's still there. It's not gone away. But I think the ideal is more on inclusivity and inclusion. Um, um, so. That's the question: Is how do we relate to the media images, uh, and and then turn it into some form of action? And I think uh, I would I, I prefer to support organizations and support you know the leadership of certain organizations to really you know uh, uh, whether it's uh, the Poor People's Campaign, whether it's Care, Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean all these different organizations that uh, are looking at this issue. Um, uh, from, from uh, those respects, and they have leadership uh, to address these issues. Um, and, uh, uh, and then the other piece was about building knowledge. I think that happens in relationship, too. Um, there's an author uh, and, and uh, a scientist, Kentaro Toyama, who wrote a book about technology, and I can't remember the name of it, but he, he was basically doing development work um, uh, in, around the world for uh, the, uh, a foundation affiliated with Microsoft, I believe, at the time it wasn't maybe I don't know if it was the Gates Foundation but some Microsoft affiliated foundation and um, you know at first they were just like sending technology everywhere but they found that basically that was largely a waste of resources and um, that really what paid off was building relationships and building people you know and that makes the difference getting people to connect um, and that really changed the economic conditions. It wasn't like just giving technological tools. Uh, so so I think, you know, so again, and now we're talking about in California, I heard Jerry Brown wants to uh, eventually kind of eliminate uh, the, the public education system, or somehow the college system, the university system, and replace it with like individualized learning on a computer it is one of the grand visions. I mean, you know, it seems kind of far-fetched. Uh, uh, but, you know, that's, the th- I mean, you know, when we go to college, it's more than just learning. I mean, sure, maybe this would make things more accessible to people, but it's all those relationships, you know, between students, between teacher and students, and, and uh, uh, between the teachers, between the faculty. I mean, that creates a cultural memory. And probably the most powerful transformative force uh, has been the educational system and the university system in, in the United States and it's it's not as accessible uh, to everyone as it should be uh, and, and that should be, but that that's really uh, uh, changed so many lives you know uh, um, so um, so I, I think you know when we talk about you know uh, transmitting knowledge and then you know perhaps just doing a lot of things online I think that's 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 it's an open question for me I don't know I mean so I don't I kind of tend to believe in the relationships.
0: The social networking tools we use to connect to connect, right? right? So we reach out, we... It's a bridge. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. and uh, done with purpose, with no understanding why we're using these tools, uh, just can really be powerful. Beginning the conversation, bringing people into this room. I don't know if any of you have ever been in this building before, but you're here now. You probably Google mapped it. Um, but I'd also like to open the floor uh, for questions or comments from the audience. Um, if you in the back, Oops. oh, yeah. you oh,
3: oh. I, if you could just talk more about the
0: mindfulness
1: challenge. Oh, sorry. It's a
3: great. It's a great takeaway for everyone to be able to do something, you know, in their
1: own lives. And this also reflects the importance of relationship (laughs) because this is an idea that I would not have come up with by myself. But Paloma and and your team uh, came up with this idea to uh, promote uh, during Mental Health Awareness Month the Face Face Buddha uh, Mindfulness Challenge, which was to spend. uh, It's a three week process. And the details are on facebuddha.co. Um, you can, uh, there's a link there for it, and or a page there for it, um, and it's, you know, using the first week to notice your experiences on social media, notice how you're using it. There's an app called the Thrive app, which you can use to track your app usage. But you can um, only use
3: it if you have a, an Android
1: phone. An Android, it's only on right? Android. Okay, all right, all right. I won't well, let you uh, okay. disengage
3: from
1: me. <laughs> you're in the you're in the the matrix uh, if you if you're an iPhone user. So uh, uh, so uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, so so the first week to observe and also to think about what you'll do in the second week, which is the second week is the uh, uh, deactivation uh, from social media and then, you know, doing all the other real world things uh, that uh, that that have brought us uh, so much in, in years past, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, but we can work on that, the, re- the IRL, the in real life uh, side of our lives. And then the third week is just a reflection. Um, so, so thank you, Paloma, for, uh, for, uh, for making that happen. And, yeah, you know,
2: well, and, and so what we
1: discovered when we were coming up with this idea was that the average person spends about 14
0: hours a week on social media that's amazing (laughs) right isn't that crazy i'm like oh i could go running in 14 hours like i could could exercise (laughs) um so yeah it was and then i i participated i don't know erica did you get to do that do the challenge yet well actually i this is the thrive app I do use it. Um, It monitors my app usage, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm not on Facebook that much. I am? Oh my gosh. And it can block off uh, those apps if you go over um, a certain amount of time. And uh, I I did want to pose this idea to this group. If you all wanted to join me, we could do this three-week challenge together. And then um, you can leave your emails with me, and we'll send information. And then do it together collectively. And then maybe meet up again in three weeks to talk about our experiences. I mean, why not? All right. I, I feel like it would be it would be really a really engaging way for me to do this because I'm a little bit intimidated too. <laughs> three weeks and I, yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> like, so if if you all are interested, um, you can leave your email. There's a sign up sheet there because I'm gonna do this. It. I, I saw the step-by-step, and every week, and I've been, I've been thriving on this app, and I have limited my phone usage, and so I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm present, more present, so it's working, but I'm also frustrated with myself because I realize how much I use my phone for unnecessary just distractions and trying to put this event together. I'm like, well, how, I'm going to use social media to promote a, a book on our social media <sighs> usage I don't know how I feel about that uh, so but then
1: welcome to my
0: world yeah, right? <laughs> well, yeah exactly. So I was reading like just reading through through the book and and um, there are just so many amazing chapters and you hilarious writer by the way it's so engaging like riveting topic but also the way that you write about it um, and it's so if you all would like to join me, please. I again we're all about community here and um, working together to uh, working together to be more present. Uh, yeah, so please don't let me do this by myself. I'll do it again. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I'll do it again, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does anyone else have any any questions, either on, on the book, the topic, uh, the three week challenge? Comments? Well I have a question. Oh. Yes, Susie. But I guess because
3: yeah. I don't always keep up on, on current events. When you mentioned that you uh, was right? like deactivated
1: yeah. Facebook because yeah. of that
3: particular event. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about it? I don't
1: know it. Oh, about that was before. January 2015, mm-hmm. uh, the massacre at the uh, satire magazine Charlie Hebdo in Paris. Um, because they had published uh, some cartoons, which some people felt mocked the Prophet Muhammad. Okay, oh. um, and so uh, some, some uh, I forget which group they were affiliated with, uh, threatened and finally did uh, kill a number of journalists there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, but then, basically, the conversation from that went to um, their anti-immigrant, which is actually. Uh, uh, not true, and then, you know, a lot of broad strokes which were actually not factually correct. Uh, so, at least as as I uh, came to understand it. Uh, yeah.
0: Questions. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you, Ravi. Thank you, Paloma. Thank you, Najee. Um, I would just like to leave us off on this note. I. Uh, I I love this sentence. Our relationships are our ground. The interior is our foundation. The real world, Mother Earth, is our home. Kindness is the only instruction. We must be sure they don't slip away. The book is uh, available over at this table. I'll be there shortly to help with sales. If you all want to stick around, we have the room for a while. talk to each other, uh, talk to Ravi, Najee, you'll be here for a minute too. Uh, Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, I have another event here at the OACC, uh, June 23rd. It is a fundraiser for Eastwind Books. We have Chef James Siaboot. He's a Michelin-starred chef, the only Michelin-starred chef in the East Bay. Uh, He uh, has three restaurants. One, the Michelin-starred one is Komi, that's in Piedmont. (coughs) Uh, he has Hawker Fair in the city and he has Hawkingbird, which is also um, out here in Oakland but he uh, he's a, a Lao immigrant chef so he'll be here to talk and there'll be Lao food samples and again it's a fundraiser for the bookstore um, it is probably the only event you'll have to pay for because it is a fundraiser uh, but also if you're in the downtown Berkeley area I'm hosting a rummage sale at the bookstore it's a Fundraiser to raise funds for our fundraiser, um, so <laughs> <laughs> as we you know, it costs money to put on an event to raise funds. So rummage sale, things are uh, bo- discounted books. I'm bringing, I'm spring cleaning again, using using our our community, our space uh, to do shared events, to keep doors open and keep uh, these literary series going, having folks like Ravi and Najee join us. uh, That that really does take community because we are a a bookstore, so that means we make very little money. Uh, Everything goes back into operational costs. um, And like I said, 99% of our events are free, except for our fundraiser, because it's a fundraiser. Uh, so please uh, sign up. Grab a bookmark. Uh, there's we're on social media. We are, uh, and yeah, thank you all so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you.